Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. So some of us have taken a bit longer to recover from the men's camp. It takes a while, but it is amazing. I spent five hours next to a rugby field yesterday watching under-11s who look like under-17s playing rugby. These boykies from Otaniqua that come out. I'm looking at them eye eye to eye. I'm like, you're not 10 years old, my brother. I don't know. In Durban, we didn't make 10-year-olds like that. It is a miraculous sign and wonder, actually. And um, maybe you were looking at the board. You were going, who are the classics? I feel classic. I'm like a one of a kind. That's not what we mean by classics. It is an over-60s event. Um, to make sure that there's some mingling happening, to make sure that there's some fun, to make sure there's some honor. And uh, we are welcome to invite friends and families. We're going to invite one or two uh, people from outside of this community to come and join. And we're going to do this regularly just to create an opportunity for guys to have friendships. We realize also that as much as we have friendships within this community, there's a whole bunch of people, especially of that age group in our near vicinity who are in old age homes and that who actually want opportunities and moments to have friends, engage, talk about life and do that. So that's who the classics are. I think it's a better name. Yeah. We're like over 60s meeting. We're not that people. The classics. So if you meet a classic, feel free to call them classic. Just make sure they are over 60 if you do it, because <laughs> that gets very awkward very quickly. And, um, but, um, but again, it is voting week. Vote and pray. Vote and pray. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. Um, I'm not going to do the work for you and put a chart up and tell you. No, I think there's a, there's a responsibility on every believer as we steward in this nation to do the work, do the reading, go look at what the things that you hold of high value, look at the word and do the work and then vote. Because this is our nation. It's a great privilege to live here. It's incredibly beautiful. And, uh, but don't just vote. Pray more than you vote. Pray more than you, you spend time anxiously talking about candidates and that. Pray. Pray. Find yourself on your knees before our God for our nation. We have a spectacular nation, which is rich soil for the kingdom of God. And I'm really excited what God is going to do with our nation. But we jump into a new series today, and it's called A New Way. And it is a series based on a short little book, a book called Colossians, a book written to the people of Colossae at a time by the Apostle Paul while he sits in prison. This dude is sitting in prison, writing to a people he's never met. He's never been there. He discipled and influenced a guy named Epaphras, not a common name these days. But Epaphras went and he grew a church. Epaphras got the local people of Colossae together and said, Hey guys, this is who Jesus is. He is glorious. He deserves your praise. Leave your foreign idols and your, your, your idolatry that you've worshipped before and Aphrodite and all these gods that you worshipped before. Leave all your following, every single rule and every single way that you think you've been taught to do. Leave all that and worship Jesus. Worship Jesus. This is what's happening in this place. It's probably not a big church either. It's probably a small group, smaller group of people who have intimate relationships. And they know when they receive a letter from this guy, Paul, they know his story because of his friend Epaphras. And that's what's going on here. It's an incredible thing. And Colossians is all about the preeminence, the priority, and, and the incredible greatness of Jesus Christ. And so even our songs this morning, maybe say like, yeah, every song is about Jesus. Well, yeah, that's the point. That's the point. That's what changes it all. 
That's when men get together and God begins to break in. And men start saying, actually, I got into debt and I need, I need Jesus. Yeah, no, there is wise counsel and there is debt counseling. And there are people who come to stories. But ultimately, it's Jesus, Lord and Savior of our lives that anchors us and pulls us into a story that can stand when the winds begin to blow. John Piper presents Colossians as the greatest presentation of the gospel. And he says, the gospel is the ballast of our lives. Who knows what the ballast is? In a big ship, like a container ship, they go stories high above the water. But the reality is, unless there is weight in the base of that ship, there's nothing to stabilize the ship when the big storms come. So you start seeing pictures and go and Google it. I was trying to Google it last night of these container ships just leaning over with their containers all on top of each other. And often the reason that happens is because there isn't stability in the base of the ship. The ballast isn't correct. And in those ships, they'll pump water into specific locations to anchor those ships. That even though they might not be anchored to the shore, anchored to the bedrock of the ocean, they are anchored in the weighting system of that ship. I'm not a sailor, so I had to research this. In the olden days, they would take roof tiles, they would take rocks, they would take bags of sand that as they consumed more of the food, they consumed more of the fuel, they would need to increase the ballast and they would fill them with bags of water and put them at the bottom. These days, they pump water in and out of the bases of ships. And John Piper says the presentation of the gospel in Colossians is the ballast of a believer's life. That when the winds and the storms come, there is stability. We aren't blown like this. Oh, I know Jesus, but I'm still, no, no, you're not still because you know Jesus. Because the gospel has got deep inside of your soul, has anchored your very story and your identity in every way. Colossians presents the gospel spectacularly. And I want to read a bunch of verses from Colossians 1, make a few simple points, and then we're going to go today. And we're going to be a part of our incredible nation. Is that good? Wonderful. I'm feeling good. I wasn't feeling great about an hour ago, but I'm actually feeling pumped now. This is great. I was like, where's the Carenza? See, I'm feeling great this morning. Just going to tell you that. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in true message of, of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learnt it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on behalf, on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day you, we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Son 
is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to him all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds, because of, his, of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant." I pray this morning, God, as we read your word, that you would show us Jesus. Even this incredible poem in verse 4, 15 to 18, it's a, it's a pouring out of who Jesus is from Old Testament to New Testament, from the Psalms, from the Proverbs. But I pray we wouldn't glibly work over these scriptures. I pray, Spirit of God, show us Jesus. Show us Jesus, not principles of Jesus, not ways of Jesus. Show us Jesus, not Christian principles that seem to bring life if I look at that guy's life. I pray, Spirit of God, as we read your word and we come under your word, pull us into Jesus at this time. We worship you, God. We praise you, King. Amen. So this city, Colossae, is a city like any other. When Paul would write a book like Ephesians, he wrote it to the people in Ephesus, the believers in Ephesus. When he wrote any of the books, he writes them to a people. And generally behind that writing, there is a pastoral concern. He's a pastor. He loves them. He sees what's going on. In, in Galatians, there is legalism coming into the story. He says, no, no, that's not the gospel. When he's writing to Colossae, he sees a people who are under cultural pressures. There is cultural pressures going on, and they look like a couple of things. One of them is they grew up in Colossae where you worship these Roman gods, Roman idols, like the, the Greek mythology gods of years gone by. And so all they did is they said, well, yeah, Jesus is new on the scene, and he becomes like one of the gods. And there's this mystical um, polytheism where they've got multiple gods, and they're worshiping potentially multiple gods because there's pressure on them. So no one really minds if you add Jesus to your story. Even the religions of our time, Muslims and, and, and Hindus, they don't mind if you've got Jesus as part of your story as long as you take the full package. And Paul's saying, no, 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 that is a pressure that's come upon you. That's not the gospel. I'm calling you back to one, the supreme God, the Lord of all. And he presents Jesus a CV almost as the firstborn. He presents and he takes them through this poetry and he presents Jesus as it's only Jesus. And then secondly, he deals with the reality that there's pressures coming in to conform and to follow some of the legalistic ways of the Torah that actually if you just take of all 600, remember this is Paul. And we're going to talk about who he was, but he was a good law follower, probably the best. He had lived a life where he achieved good law following status. And he says, guys, I've done that. It's only Jesus. 
So this book is about the preeminence, the priority, the power of worshiping the living God, Jesus Christ. That's good news. Right there. It, it deals with it, and he goes through the flow, starts on chapter 1. He says, it's all about Jesus. Chapter 2, he presents himself as the suffering apostle. He says, this is my story, but actually, it's all glory to Jesus. Chapter three, chapter 2, he carries on. He says, there's pressure on you to turn away. It's relevant to us at this time because there's pressure on you to turn away. There's pressure on things like, well, if you just take Jesus and a little bit of self-worship, if you just take Jesus and a little bit of worship of all sorts of things. See, we often make it this religion or that religion. The greatest religion of our word, world is worship of self. Is I'm the king. And even Jesus, if he can help me being king of my life, then we're all winning. Paul's saying, no, no, no. Those pressures aside, we're calling people to worship Jesus. And then he presents in chapter 3 and 4 a new way of life. A new way, and not a slightly upgraded version of your previous way. Not if you add this onto everything you were doing, and it's like a paintbrush that just changes the color. No, that's not what he's presenting. He's saying there's a new way, a new humanity, a new story who has a Savior called Jesus. It's glorious. And when we get this and we understand this, the gospel becomes alive. The gospel isn't just the thing you needed on the Easter you went to church when you gave your life to Jesus. Oh, I needed the gospel then. No, I need the gospel every day. And the smallnesses that creep in my heart, the prejudices that creep in, the, the anxieties that creep in, I need the gospel to live life beyond those moments. So I live a victorious life in Jesus because Jesus is victorious. He's the one we worship and praise. So set your mind on things above. He's presenting that in our human existence that nothing remains untouched by the liberating and love of Jesus Christ, the liberation and love of Jesus Christ, nothing. Uh, my favorite quote, I want to see if I can find it because I probably jumped past it, is by a guy named Abraham Kaper. And I used it during a sexuality series about two, three years ago. It's probably my favorite quote. It says, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Jesus Christ does not shout, mine. He declares mine over your brokenness. He declares mine over your broken family story. He declares mine over our nation at this time of politics. It's all his. Above every rule, every dominion, every authority, every power that sets itself out, Jesus stands and sits on his throne and he just declares mine. That is what we believe. That's what the Bible says. That's why, yeah, let me not jump into another statement there. Nearly a rabbit warren could have been at till 13 hours past zero. No, we won't do that. The gospel too often becomes the extra optional channel that we take on. And we need to make sure that the sense of our story, the thing that anchors us, is not the fact that we've plugged on Jesus like, like a, a, a platoon, what do you call those things? Platoon or? No. I'm struggling for words this morning. Like a thing you put next to, anyway. You guys aren't helping this morning. Come on. Remember, this guy's life first. This boy sitting in jail is going, actually, he's living his life first. He says in, in Philippians 1.20, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but I will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's sitting in prison writing that one too, by the way. He spent about five, six years of his life in prison writing letters to people, encouraging people. Who's got a good encouraging letter from prison lately? Anyone got like, 
just got a prison pen pal. They've written you a letter saying, go well. You can be better. No, we don't get that often. But something's happened in this guy's life. Something's transformed his story. And he says, actually, he presents it in this amazing verse. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth. Heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, that's pretty broad-based, all things were created through him and for him. Presidents on thrones and, 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 and seats of power do not get there without Jesus being in control. I don't know what your theology, I've seen some pretty bad theology lately in and around politics. I want to tell you, Jesus is in control. It might not always look like it to us. It's not always how we choose it to look, but I promise you, the church always thrives under pressure. It always has. From the Old Testament to the New Testament to every bit of the story since then, the church has thrived and it's time to take a hold of Jesus. To not be caught up in the winds of news. I, I, I encouraged my wife to read the news because I felt like she didn't know the news. I would have to tell her the news, like what's happening in the world. So I encouraged her. So now she says, I read the news. Awesome. Next minute she comes to me, hey, check what happened. I'm like, yeah, that's been happening. I'm going, we don't read the news to come under it like some controlling emotional. We read the news to be aware of what's happening in our world so we can pray, so we can stand, so we can hold on to the King of Kings, so we can declare His glory and His goodness to our world and take a hold of the King at this time. But I want to jump into two verses today. Don't get scared. It's not going to take us 147 weeks to preach this four-chapter book. I just want to preach two verses this morning. The very first two verses from this amazing text. Paul, verse 1 of chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. So who's writing this? Well, Paul is. He used to be known as Saul. He, he went on a journey. He, it's important because... My point number one is simple. Jesus is the comma in every story. Probably not great use of punctuation, but I'm going to go with it anyway. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Because if we just had Paul and there was no comma to a story, let me tell you who Paul was. Paul was the oppressor of the church. Paul was the Hebrew of Hebrews. Paul was arrogant. Paul was highly, highly educated in his arrogance was just reinforced by his story, which was he had done incredibly well in life. He, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He, he had gone on that journey where he, he knew all the rules, and, and he, would, he was the guy who didn't just keep the 613 rules that were in place and laws that were in place. He added his own ones on top. Said, I'm not just going to achieve those, I'm going to do it all. I'm going to be better then. And when they started persecuting and becoming, he's probably the first Christian terrorist. Not Christian terrorist, terrorist of the Christians. Really nailing some English today. That's not good. Don't be a Christian terrorist. Just in case that's what you heard. And, and, uh, but a lot has changed in his life. He, he, his zeal and his passion and his devotion to, to making the idol of religion in his story previously is now transferred because he has been gripped by the gospel of grace. He was on a journey. He's just affirmed the, the stoning of, Simon, uh, of Stephen. He's there and they put the clothes at his feet, meaning he's the guy saying, go for it. I'm going to stand here. You go for it. He's standing smiling while they're stoning Stephen. He's that guy. Doesn't seem the prime candidate to write an encouraging letter from prison to the church. And yet something's happened. A comma has come in his story as he's engaged God. He goes on a journey to Damascus. And on that road, he's, he's navigating. He's got 
anger in his story. He's being celebrated for all the abuse he's bringing to the believers. Boom, he encounters Jesus. He encounters Jesus. He, he, everything changes with one encounter. Everything changes. And three days later, Ananias comes to him. And this, imagine Ananias. He goes to go on this journey to this persecutor of the church and bring a story, bring God's story to Paul's life. And everything changes. Paul, comma, call Paul Jesus. What's your story? What's the comma in your story? What happened before Jesus in your story? What happened before there was a comma? Ah, if I, and, and so often we start celebrating what happened in the past. I, I spent five hours next to a rugby field yesterday, like I told you, next to fathers telling their war stories what happened in 1978 when he tackled Rob Lowe. I don't know what year Rob Lowe played rugby. Maybe he's not that old. But I'm going, wow, that's awesome. But your boy's playing rugby over there, and he's just tackled little Jimmy from Otaniqua. Let's celebrate that. Too many people get stuck on what happened before the comma came, before the story changed. And in Paul's life, and who was previously known as Saul, there's a comma that came in his life called the gospel of grace, the glory of Jesus Christ, and everything changes. He doesn't become a wimp of a man. He takes that zeal and that passion and rises up in the midst of oppression, in the midst of trial and challenge. He's in jail for the gospel. He is so gracious with these people. Because they are floundering in their faith, he starts going, immediately he sees Jesus, he starts going on the, the journey. I want to tell you about Paul's story. Maybe you've heard it, but I love reading the stuff. He's just giving his pain CV. Have you got a pain for the gospel CV? Because I think it's so easy to become a martyr these days. You just need a sad story, put it on Facebook, get five people to share it, and make it emotive and somehow sounding true. And you're a martyr. It's that easy. Paul says, I'm going to tell you what a martyr looks like, and I'm not even claiming to be one. Says 2 Corinthians 11, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was drift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from rivers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from all things, there is the daily pressure on me from my anxiety for all the churches. We've got to understand that with the Jesus story in our lives comes a resilience, an ability to navigate, an ability to stand, ability where there is the supremacy of Jesus in our story at points. Point number one, there is Paul, comma, an apostle. Paul, a guy who should have no standing, a guy who should be punished for everything he done before, but Jesus breaks into a story. An apostle, a man with a story, a man who gets to preach the gospel. What's your story in Jesus? Find it in Colossians because you encounter Jesus. Because your story comes from Jesus. Not, I'm going to be an apostle, a preacher. No. What has God got for you in every story? It's Jesus. Number two, I want to tell you about the master strategist. Paul, common and apostle by the will of God. It didn't just happen. It wasn't, oh, lucky Paul. Mm, just stumbled into the favor of God. God's favorite. No. God had a will. God had a plan. God had a strategy. God saw him persecuting the church. God's seen everything you've done too. 
He said, I choose him. I've got those disciple guys. They're out there preaching the gospel, but who's going to go to the Gentiles? I choose him. The Hebrew of Hebrews, I choose him. The one who's abused my church, I choose him. Why? Because God is a master strategist and he knows that there's nothing beyond the grace of God. There is nothing that can stop the grace of God transforming stories. Nothing. Nothing. And so we go on men's camp and men come out with stories and come out with things that should limit and hold. I'm saying, give that to Jesus and watch what he will do. Why? Because comma, an apostle by the will of God. And when we come to this book and we come to understand that God's will set apart for the gospel, made a servant of Christ by the command of God, that's Paul, that's his story. We come to this book and we understand there's nothing beyond the power of Jesus Christ. But how did it go down? What, what happened in the story? Because something changed. He, this guy, you read him and read across the books, and if, he wrote if Philippians and he wrote stories to the churches and he calls them to strength. It seems like he's unfazed by the unjust, unfair, and uncomfortable circumstances he often found himself in. He's like, okay with it. He's okay with it. He, he, yes, they're unjust. Yes, he shouldn't have been whipped and beaten. Yes, he took a whole bunch of, yeah, that happened. But somehow when I look at the apostle who writes most of the New Testament, these stories, there's an, I'm okay. He, he grasped something. Something had changed in his story. What's changed in your story? Comma, something's changed. Well, two things that satisfied this guy. Because it's, as I look at his story, that God had placed him in every circumstance, every situation. He'd led him in every step of the moment. And what if in that line there was a blank space by the will of God? In prison, by the will of God. So I've got a friend who leads a church. He spent five years in prison. I'm not sure it was by the will of God, but God sure used it. But actually, God will always use it. And we believe that God is in control. I want to tell you two things that changed, I think, in Paul's life that need to change in my life and your life. Number one, Jesus became supreme. Not just, just better. I'm going to look to Jesus now because he's just better. When I trust Jesus as supreme and superior in everything, I submit to his ultimate governing power in my life in all things. I'm not shaken. I'm not stirred. I, it doesn't mean I, I become okay to the point that I don't pray, that I don't fast, that I don't call on the name of God for breakthrough. No, it means that I become okay in my soul and in my spirit so I can get on with the mission he's called me to without becoming unfazed by every uncomfortable, unfair, and unjust situation. He's found an ability to navigate life with facing the realities of uncomfortable situations, not denying, hey, he's not saying I'm not in jail while he is. He's saying I'm in jail, guys. That's okay. Know that. But Jesus is, Jesus is supreme. Jesus is in control. See, when I trust that Jesus is superior to me, and, and He's superior in my plans, he, and I submit to that power and that authority, I'm saying, Jesus, have it all. Get the glory in every story. And when families go, hey, business has changed, got to move nation, really don't want to leave our friends because we've found friends here, and, and, and these have been the best years of our life. No, Jesus, you're in control. Jesus, you got the story. So who am I? Second thing that I think this book and believers need to go on a journey is Jesus is sufficient. He's sufficient. 
Maybe for you that's not a thing, but a Jesus is enough. Paul had a deep belief that in the gospel that he had the best there was to offer. In Jesus, you get the best there is to offer. We stop going on the journeys of, well, I'm going to worship Aphrodite so I get a bit of love. No, no, no. I'm going to worship Jesus because I get the best in Jesus. Jesus is not just the best. He's perfectly sufficient for my every need, my every desire, my every prayer, my every anxiety. He is perfect. And Paul is sitting in prison writing a letter to a people he's encouraging. Why? Because he has a revelation of Jesus, Jesus supreme and Jesus sufficient. And he writes to the faithful brothers and sisters. And I want to make point number three that I think Paul addresses in Colossians to the people of Colossians. And I think it's a challenge in the church of today. And it's the point number three that there is a supremacy problem. We have a supremacy problem. Grace, He says grace and peace are at the core of the supremacy issue. The grace of God speaks about God's work. It speaks about specifically his unconditional love that pours out to us. It challenges us. Peace speaks of a new relationship that comes with Jesus that regardless of circumstance, trial, or situation, I have a relationship with the living God. But the problem is that the world is full of options trying to achieve God's grace apart from God's peace. Sorry, to to achieve God's peace apart from God's grace. Does that make sense? It's like everyone wants peace. You want peace in your home. You want peace in your heart. You want peace in your family. The Bible says the way to that grace and the journey that Paul went on the way to that grace was he engaged and encountered the gospel of grace, the king of glory. And everyone's trying to circumnavigate this. I want the peace that the Bible talks about. I just don't want Jesus to be king. No, he says the only way you get the peace of God is by allowing the grace of Jesus, the king in your life. You want peace in your emotions? Allow Jesus, the king, to heal you, to take you on a journey of forgiveness or whatever your journey is, and you will find peace. You want peace in your finances? Will allow Jesus to become king and lord of your story and allow his grace to pour over your story and what you get is peace. See, the government will rest upon his shoulders, Isaiah, Prince of Peace. A result of the authority of God and the supremacy of Jesus in our story. We have to be those, as Paul deals with the concern that there are surrogates that are looking for supremacy in your life and my life. They're surrogates. And they look good. And everyone's saying they make sense. Now, we aren't of those who hide away and say, well, nothing can help and everything. And this is not a propagation of don't use medicine and that. don't read into that what I'm not saying. What I'm saying is what happens in the ballast of my life when the winds become to shake. There's one thing that holds. There's one thing that makes stable my story. It's purely this. Jesus is supreme and sufficient in my story because the gospel says so. Because Jesus presents himself in every way, perfect in all his ways. See, Colossians, as we navigate this book, and I'm going to ask you, it's only four chapters, go and read it. Go and read it. There's a reading plan online. Go and read it, a two-week reading plan, because it's actually not a lot to read. Go and read it. It says, actually, have concerns about government? Jesus. Have concern about your future, your finances? Jesus. Have, maybe you're in a prison right now. Like Paul was in a prison, maybe you're in a prison. A relationship that's a prison, economics are in a prison, whatever your prison is, Jesus. See, Jesus gives us a new identity, a new identity in Him. When I find 
my security, my sufficiency, and his supremacy in my story, I become a ship that can navigate the high seas. And I'm telling you, church, God's calling Christians who weren't made, we weren't designed to be those who just stay in the harbors of life, the safe spaces of life. We were designed to travel the high seas. We were designed in economic times like this to trust our king and wait for miracles. I loved sitting with a man this week who I haven't seen for a little while. I said, how your business goes? He says, actually, I'm embarrassed to tell you it's going incredibly well. I said, why are you embarrassed? He said, no, it's going incredibly well. And everyone around me is struggling. It's going incredibly well. I said, don't be embarrassed. Because I've known him for many years. A faithful man, a God-honoring man, a man who made Jesus his ballast. And when the storms have come, he's held. He's made decisions that weren't popular at times. It's times to take, take, make Jesus our ballast. It's time to hold on to him. It's time to take control of the situation rather than situations. Paul, a persecutor of God's people, becomes Paul, the one who speaks to God's people who were floundering, the ones who are looking to other gods. He says, people made holy and faithful by Jesus Christ. You know, the greatest doubters often of the finished work of Christ in our lives is us. It's not the accuser. Oh, it's the enemy. Stop shouting the enemy. Allow the Bible to speak to your soul and settle you in the time of storms. And I promise you on the other side of that, there is peace because Jesus is sufficient. Jesus is supreme. Jesus is the ballast of your identity and mine today. Can we jump into Colossians together? Can we allow God to show us the goodness of his king? Can we become like Paul, people who forget shouting, unjust, unfair? Can we be people who say, actually, I'm going to encourage my brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. I'm going to keep calling people to a big story in God because he is supreme and sufficient. Is that all right? Can we stand as we finish, as we jump into the series now? I know we've navigated a lot and we, we celebrate what God has done with the kids and, 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 and I still really can't say your surname properly so I'm going to go to Jono and Shay Solswiddle 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 Croissant and um, <laughs> but Jesus can we lift our hands to Jesus now maybe you feel like you're in a prison and you see this man writing from prison going how does he do that Maybe your prison is financial anxiety. Maybe it's a relationship that is a prison to you. Well, he tells us how you can do it. He says it's only Jesus. There is only one who calms the raging seas. There is only one. Allow the supremacy of Jesus to become your everything and let everything else that would set itself up as supreme in your life fade away. And allow Jesus to become your all-sufficiency. He's all-sufficient for your pain. He's all-sufficient for your past. And the most glorious thing, he's all-sufficient for your future. Spirit of God, as we read your word, I pray for some here who maybe haven't been spending time in your word or maybe have never found the courage even to do that. I pray as we jump into this Bible, give them in inspiration, give them revelation, and give them courage to keep moving forward in Jesus at this time. We praise you, King. Amen.